So let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, this house of worship and the ability to come here as we begin to sing songs to you. We give all praise and glory to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for clever lyricists who can put together a string of words that reminds us that creation itself shows us how to worship. That we can look at the beauty of the universe and determine from that who you are and how great you are and that you are worthy We can look at the story of Jesus and see the self-sacrifice involved, and that informs us how we ought to live our lives. And so we come this morning expressing a desire to obey as creation obeys, to love and serve as Jesus loved and served. But we confess, God, we fail at that. We say that. We come here this morning, we say that. But then we'll go home and we'll fail at that. And that's the story. Week in and week out. And so we confess to you, we cannot accomplish this thing on our own. That try as we might, while our spirits might be willing, our flesh is weak. And so we ask you, we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, to strengthen us in all the ways and places of our lives in which we are lacking, in which we do fail. But we also thank you that no matter how many times we fail, you are always there to forgive. And that if Jesus had to go to the cross all over again, he would do it a hundred billion times for us. If only one of us needed he would do it. We don't understand that kind of love. We've never, we've never given or experienced that kind of love by anyone else here on earth. And so it's hard for our brains to wrap around what that love looks like. But we can see it. We can glimpse it. And so we're grateful for it. And we want to become more and more aware of your loving presence in and through all the cosmos, that there is no place that we can go that you are not already there, that we don't meet you. That there is, as David said, no place that we can hide from you. And that's a good thing because we need you wherever we go. That you sustain our very lives. You speak and all of the universe is filled with your breath that sustains us. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we admit that we come this morning not only with the burdens of our own failures, but also uh, the burdens of uh, just everyday life, uh, people, loved ones, circumstances, things in our lives that are weighing us down. And we're reminded how Jesus says, that the, the yoke we carry is too heavy and that he, he offers a trade. He says, take my yoke. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. And so we want to do that this morning. We don't even know how to do that, really. 
we've been carrying our yokes so long that we don't even know how to remove them. And so we're also going to ask you during this worship hour that we could leave our burdens at the foot of the cross and take on the yoke of Jesus and leave this place much lighter than we walked in. One thing we do know is part of that process is naming those things that scare us, naming those things that give us worry and anxiety, naming those ways and places in which we are crying out desperately for a miracle. And so we want to lift those things to you now. We're going to name them one by one, Lord. We know that you hear us and we thank you. Emily and Susanna, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Terry Fortner. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 Father, I'm sure that there are much more here. Sometimes we don't even know how to form the words to say what it is we want to say. And so we thank you in those moments because Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit prays when and where we cannot and prays with utterings that we uh, can't even comprehend. And so we thank you for that intercession that's going on right now. We thank you for caring so much for us that you even know the numbers of hairs on our heads. And so because of that, we trust you with all of our cares and concerns this morning. Remove them so that we might be totally present in this moment, that we might be aware of your still small voice, of the ways and places in which your spirit is speaking to us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds, because we do want to leave a changed people. We thank you. It is in your precious and holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the kiddos to come up. Jay, Katie, come up. Anybody else? Any other kids? Here comes legend. <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm going to ask you all a question. When was the last time you saw a rainbow in the sky? Think hard. Like a month ago? A month ago? Yeah, probably. Last time, last time I saw one, there were two rainbows. You saw two of them? You got cookies and cream on your chin, bro. All right, what about you? When, did you, when was the last time you saw one? Just a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago? Last month, okay. Oh, it's probably the same one. Okay, when you saw one, what was happening at the time? It was raining, but then it just got done raining. It just got done raining, and what happened? The rainbow came because the sun came out. should never flood the earth again. Oh, look at you. And that's the, that's the promise. The rainbow is the promise. Was he in the first service? Uh-huh, you heard the story. Okay, what else, what, when you, okay, besides you, when you look at the rainbow, what does it mean to you? What do you think of? What do you think of? Uh, colors, yeah. Can, do you know the colors of the rainbow? Uh, 
Is that, oh, is that all of them? Okay, good. Is indigo in there? No. Okay. All right. Now, some people say when they see a rainbow that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Have you ever heard that? No. Have you ever tried to get to the end of the rainbow to see? Yes. When you go toward it, it just keeps moving further and further away. You can never get to the end of it. Some people see a rainbow, and like you guys said, they think that means the rain is gone. The storms are done. The sun is coming out. The sun will come out tomorrow. So it's a good thing when you see a rainbow because it means the storms are done. Do you want to join us? When was the last time you saw a rainbow? Do you remember? Sometimes you can create a rainbow if you put a sprinkler in your yard and the sun hits it just right. You can see one right in your yard. Well, we are going to talk about a story today from the Bible. But there's no gold there. There's no gold there. Uh -uh. No, but if you could get to the end of it, maybe there's some gold, but I don't know. There is no end to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, a rainbow is actually just a circle. If you go up, if you're in the sky when there's a rainbow, it's just oh, you told me that yesterday. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about a story today in which the ancient Hebrew people saw a rainbow and it meant something special to them. It meant God loved them and that God was a good God and merciful and kind. And he never, he, he has never broke a promise. Never breaks a promise, right? So that's what they saw when they saw the rainbow. And I wonder if maybe we, next time we see a rainbow, we could pause and we could say, thank you, God, for loving us so well. Just shoot up a little prayer and say, thank you for that rainbow, because I know that means that you love me. You think you could do that next time you see a rainbow? You remember? Just stop for a second. If you're riding your bike or whatever, just stop and just say, thank you, God, for loving me. And then you can go about your day. Is that good? All right, let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the marvels of creation, things like rainbows. Uh, of course, we know that it is the light that is going through uh, the droplets of water that, that creates the prism of colors. But, but we also know that it means so much more that we can look at that and know that you love us and that you are always with us. And so we are thankful for that. We want to ask that you remind us to thank you for that next time we see a rainbow. We ask that you bless our families and friends, bless our pets. They need a lot of blessing. And please bless this awesome church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can stay in the service or you can go back to the kids' area if you want to. Okay? All right, you can stay with us. So I'm going to read uh, 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 bits of Genesis today. We're in the narrative lectionary now, so you're going to figure out real quick, the narrative lectionary has very long readings because we've got a lot to cover. I'll explain more later, but we're going to read. Is that okay, Mike? Okay, we're going to read, you know, the, Nor the, the Noah story is in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. I'm not going to read four chapters to you today, but we are going to read excerpts from some of those chapters so that you get the gist of the story, okay? So we'll begin in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And put the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every kind shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every kind of food that is eaten, and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then God said to Noah, Oh, wait, I moved too far. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven, and it went to and fro under, until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out the dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground, but the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him any more. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you 
and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. By the way, hello everybody on Facebook. We're glad that you're here. We wish that you could be here, but we're glad that you're there. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Remember you're in church. Okay, you're in church. Who in here swears a little? You're in church. Hey, you know, I'll leave that between you and God. You stub your toe, maybe a little something comes out, you know. You have a bad day. You had a bad day. Yeah. Right? It happens to the best of us. We are going to be talking about heavenly swear words today, but I'm going to explain what I mean by that because you're thinking, how could swear words be heavenly? We are starting in the narrative lectionary today. Now, I'm excited because I don't think you all have done the narrative lectionary. Uh, I've been preaching the narrative lectionary for the last three years. This will be my fourth year doing it. It is a four-year cycle that is anchored. Each year is anchored in one of the four Gospels. This is year number one, so this year is Matthew. Now, here's how this works. It's a nine-month journey through the Bible from start to end narrative, we're trying to get a glimpse of of the overarching story in the Bible. And we're going to walk through the Old Testament up until about Christmas time. We'll switch over to the Gospel of Matthew. And then we will read about the life of Jesus. And then as we move forward, we'll get into the lives of uh, the apostles and the church. And so by the end, you should be able to say, I've got it. If you've never read the Bible before, I've got an idea of what the Bible is about. I've got an idea of the story. And so we're starting at the beginning today. However, the narrative lectionary uh, didn't start at Genesis 1. They decided to start at Genesis chapter 6 with a story that we just read. So famous, most kids know it. Almost everybody knows Noah and the ark. So let me catch you up, because we had five chapters before this. Here's what you basically need to know. God created everything in the beginning, and God looked and saw it and said, that's good. And by the time God was done creating, he stepped back and looked at it and said, boy, that's very good. That's really, really good. Here we are in chapter 6, 1,656 years since Adam since the creation of the world. And the text tells us that God once again looks and says, that's bad. That's really, really bad. Everything has gone south. I shouldn't say that. Everything's gone off the rails. Everything's bad. Okay? And so God looks and says, man, the human heart is evil. The inclinations of the human mind and the heart, they're just... They're they're wanting to do bad stuff all the time. He says violence is everywhere on the earth, not just humans, just like all flesh has become violent. It's The earth is filled with violence. And so he makes up his mind that he is going to wipe the slate clean. He is going to clean house. He's going to destroy everything that he made in the beginning. And if you went and looked at Genesis 1, 
The order that everything is created in the beginning is everything that's listed in reverse order that will be destroyed. Okay? So this is like a, a destruction, a, a decreation almost. Okay? Now think about this for a second. This means all men, all women, all children, all animals, great and small, every plant, every flower, everything that is alive is going to die with the exception of one man and his family and a few animals. Why in the world do we say this is a kid's story? I don't know why we decorate our church nurseries with images from Noah and the ark. We like some of the images, the animals two by two. That's fun. That's cute. We don't think about the rest of it. This is a dark story. Uh, Alora, I, I, I googled some classic images of Noah and the ark. Can you all see that? Go to the next one, Alora. That's a, that's a mother tiger standing on that rock with her cub in her mouth as the waters are rising. Go to the next one. That's the ark riding the waves, mass bodies strewn about the ground. Not that one yet. These, those last two images are actually right in here. Um, we, we found the story and thought we'd open it to this page. You can look at that a little bit closer after church if you want to. This is not a kid's story. This is a dark story. And I thought, man, how fitting is it that this story is happening on 9-11? Today is 9-11. Do you all remember where you were that day? I do. I, I, I got a phone call from a friend who said, you need to turn on the TV. And I did and saw the second plane hit. And that day was just a horrific day. Tragedy. And I'm reminded that when devastating things happen, like 9-11, like the flood, that there tends to be three questions that we ask ourselves. Humans go to three questions. Question number one, why has this happened? Question number two, who the heck is responsible? And question number three, how do we make sure this never happens again? Right? Think about it. Those are the questions you hear. Anytime tragedy strikes, anytime devastation occurs, those are the questions we ask. And then we answer those in various ways. I remember in the, in the height of COVID hearing certain pastors say, COVID was sent by God because of the sins of America. Did you ever hear anybody say that? that was, that's how they answer the question. God sent COVID. God is behind this. We're not so far removed from these ancient cultures. You know, the Hebrews and others often blamed, uh, pinned blame on God when bad things happened. When cataclysmic flooding happened in heavily uh, populated parts of the world, well, the ancient world, they would write stories about it. In fact, there are 68 different flood stories that exist from the ancient world. Did you know that? 68. The version that I just read to you is one of them. 68 other versions. And in each of these stories, they use their own language and their culture uh, to talk about explaining why has this happened Who's responsible and how do we make sure this never happens again? One of the oldest stories that comes out of Mesopotamia sounds very, very similar to the Noah story. It, it, the guy's name isn't Noah. It's a different name. But there's a guy and the gods tell him to build a boat. And he takes his family on the boat. And he puts the animals on the boat. And, 
After the flood recedes, his boat lands on top of a mountain and he sends out birds to see if there's dry land. And afterwards he gets out and he sacrifices some animals to the gods and they smell very, very similar to the story that we just read, but from a totally different culture, different names, different gods. But in all of these flood stories that you read about, you'll see that the gods are always responsible. The gods always are the ones who send the flood. Now, they send it for different reasons in the story. Uh, I, you know, sin, obviously, sin is a, is a reason to wipe out humanity and the world. There's another one that I saw that was because of overpopulation. Just, the earth is becoming too populated. We need to thin out the herd. I saw one that said the gods were trying to sleep, and the humans were so loud, they kept disrupting their sleep. We're going to wipe out them partying humans. Any number of reasons, but the gods are always responsible. The ancient world believed when the gods get mad, bad things happen. And then we've got to figure out how to keep this from happening again. How do we keep the gods happy? The Hebrews were no different in this worldview. Cataclysmic flooding. Who's responsible? God is the one who did this. Now, if you ask me, this is just my opinion, okay? Just my opinion. But I think when that kind of stuff happens, the answer, God did it, is probably not helpful. In, in almost maybe all situations, when bad stuff happens. In this case, in this story, Noah and the flood, I personally don't believe God sent a flood to cleanse the earth from wickedness, including children and unborn babies and fawns and hummingbirds and daffodils. I, I, just, I, I just don't think God did that. I don't think God sent COVID. I don't think God sent Osama bin Laden on 9-11 to hit those towers because God was trying to teach us a lesson. I don't think that's how God operates. But man, I appreciate the Hebrews wrestling with this. I appreciate the fact that they wrote this story as they wrestled with this tragedy, because I do believe with 68 stories existing, some kind of massive flood happened that killed a lot of people. And these cultures were wrestling with it. I appreciate the Hebrews wrestling with it in their own minds, because as they grappled with these hard questions, I think they actually stumbled upon something that we can hold on to, something that is worth considering, something that is worth taking as we live out our lives in the midst of tragedy. I haven't read all 68 versions of the flood story, but I'm almost positive that the God that we meet in the Hebrew version of the story does something very unique, something that none of the other gods do in any of the stories. The Lord swears. The Lord swears. Now, I'm not talking about cussing. I ain't talking about cussing. I'm talking about making a promise. Swearing an oath. It's an oath that he makes to himself and to Noah and really to us as humans. The Lord swore he would never again destroy the earth by flood or by any other method. And then to remind himself of this promise, he placed a rainbow in the sky. You want to hear something crazy? The word that's translated rainbow in your English translation the Hebrew word is bow, an archer's bow. In other words, God has taken his weapon and hung it up in the clouds and said, I will never use that again. 
I'm putting my weapon away. It's done. And so I read this story and I think, wait a minute, wait a minute. What kind of a God mourns his decision to make everything and then feels mortified at his decision to wipe it out? The gods, the gods in general, do not care about puny things like humans and ants and daffodils. The gods in general rarely regret their decisions. They're gods. They can do whatever they want. The gods certainly do not make promises to humanity as though humans are owed some kind of divine favor. The gods never do that. What kind of a god does that? And I think even more startling and unique is the reason that God swears never to do this again. And this wasn't even part of our lectionary reading today. It's found in chapter 8, verse 21. Alora, will you pull, pull this up? The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. I underlined it for you. What is the reason God will never destroy the earth again? Because the human heart is evil from youth. Wait a minute. That's the very reason God decided to wipe the slate clean, right? He looked down and saw the human heart is evil in all ways. This becomes the very reason that God chooses never to do it again. In other words, humanity has a problem and killing them is not going to solve it. Wiping them out doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't accomplish anything. And so God takes his bow and he hangs it up and vows to never use it again. And then he tells Noah, you know what? This rainbow in the sky, it will serve as a reminder to me. When I see the rainbow in the sky, I will remember that killing you doesn't solve the problem. Now, I've got to imagine that rainbows have been in the sky ever since uh, humans have been around to see them. I I'm going to presume that, right? Humans across all times and cultures have seen rainbows. Why is it that the Hebrews, when they look at the rainbow, they deduce from it that the God who created the whole universe, the one God, the true God of all gods, swears never to use violence against us or to destroy us as a remedy for our sin. How did they get that? How did they come to the conclusion that this God, when they see a rainbow, this God that created it all, will remember our helpless estate and take pity on us? Why does this God, when we see the rainbow, imply that there is going to be some future remedy for sin, because killing and destruction is not the answer. How did they get there? I'm going to give you a, a little hint into the future. Jesus. Jesus is the solution that God comes up with. You know, they say the Bible is inspired. This might be the point in which the Spirit is beginning to break through that the Spirit is beginning to seep into the story 
and, and the wrestling in the story itself of why has this happened and who's responsible and how do we ever keep this happening again, all of a sudden we begin to see something in there that nobody has ever saw or seen before. My favorite band in the world, King's X, Texas Trio from Houston. They haven't released an album in 14 years. They released one this week. I was so excited. I've been listening to it over and over in my car. The second song on the record is called Flood. Now, is that a coincidence or what? I wrote the guys. I said, I'm going to use this in my sermon. Here's the chorus of that song. I used to say that all we needed was love. Now I'm thinking that what we need is a flood. Now, when I first read that, when I first heard that in the song, I thought, yeah, maybe that's right. I mean, the world has gotten so darn crazy. People fighting all over the place. Wars happening, hating, division. I know pastors, many, many pastors that are retiring early because it's just too difficult to pastor churches because the fighting is in the churches too. The one place that you're not supposed to have this, it's almost more intense inside the church. So pastors are going, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. And so I, I, I heard those lyrics and I thought, yeah, maybe it is time for God to wipe this slate clean again. I mean, I, you know, I'll go to heaven, so <laughs> why not? Fresh start, God. I mean, maybe love is not enough anymore. The Beatles said all you need is love, but maybe they're wrong. Sometimes it gets tiring trying to uh, uh, love people that are so hell-bent on, fight, on fighting and, and conflict. It, it wears you down. And I'm reading through this Genesis text, you know, this story that we all know so well. And we, we put the pictures on our, on our uh, nurseries in, in churches. And I saw that 821, and I thought, no, that's not right. That's not right. Because never again will it be said that my God used tragedy and destruction against us, even though it's the easier option. So much easier just to wipe out everything. But God said, you'll never pin that on me anymore. Never again will you pin that on me. Instead, the God that we meet in the Hebrew story, my God that I trust in, the one that I put my faith in, promises to exercise patience and compassion and self-sacrifice and second chances. That's the God that we meet in this story. And then I thought, okay, I never realized that the rainbow was put in the sky to remind God of this promise. This God who probably shouldn't be making promises. Doesn't he know gods don't do that, but he's doing it anyway. And then I thought, well, maybe the, the, the rainbow can be a reminder to us too. Because if, if God can choose to exercise this way of approaching us, maybe we too can be reminded that things like hate and division and violence and force is never, ever, ever, ever the solution to our problems with each other. It doesn't work. It's never the solution. Maybe that's what I can take away from the rainbow. That's what it can mean to me when I see it. 
that as easy as it is just to wipe out my enemies so I don't have to deal with them anymore. Instead, I choose to love them and hope that love is somehow stronger than hate. Well, Laura, pull up that Kermit the Frog pic. Do you remember this scene from the Muppets? He's sitting on a log with his banjo. He sings, why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. I know they're wrong, wait and see. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me. Never thought about those words before. You know what Kermit's saying there? Kermit's going, I look at the rainbow, and people just tell me it's just sun coming through uh, water droplets. It's just science. Like, it's nothing spectacular. It's pretty, but, you know, like we can explain it. It's just an illusion. And Kermit says, no, I look at the rainbow, and I see there's got to be something more. It's got to mean something. And one day, I'm going to find that connection. And I thought, Kermit, our Hebrew brothers and sisters figured it out thousands of years ago. They made the connection because they saw the rainbow and they believed it stood for divine mercy. And while the rest of the cultures around them, writing those other 67 stories, continued to live their lives in fear of making the gods angry, let's make sure we keep the gods happy, the Hebrews began to learn how to trust in a good and a kind God. That the God that they saw in the rainbow was somehow different. I thought maybe we can learn that too. <coughs> Folks, I, I may not be able to hang my hat on a God that kills us all in a fit of anger, but I can certainly hang my life on one that says love is enough to lift you out of your pit and I swear I will never, ever, ever give up on you. I can hang my hat on that. Let's pray. Lord, I mean, what, what is the possibility that we could read an ancient story about how rainbows got in the sky and explaining how floods happen that kill a lot of people and in there, we begin to see a glimpse of a, 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 something spectacular. A love so profound, uh, so committed to us as humanity that is willing to go to any length to help us out of our pit of despair. How is that possible? Except that the scriptures are God-breathed. And that every time we open the scriptures and read these stories, somehow you meet us in them and speak to us in ways that is relevant to our lives today. That's a miracle. But we'll take it. And we will cling to it. And the next time we see a rainbow, we will remember that you are that kind of God. The God that chooses self-sacrifice over violence 
and destruction. Help us to be that same way to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all may be seated. Uh, I wanted to tell you something real quick before I give you the benediction. Um, Anita Diesterhoff's parents, Kenneth and Marianne Locke, uh, who are home, uh, were members of Frankston UMC. Uh, and I went out and met with them and took them communion. And uh, Kenneth said to me, uh, Frankston has voted to disaffiliate, and I'm a United Methodist. And so I want to know if you would accept us as members of your church. And I said, heck yeah, we would. Absolutely. And even though they are not able to attend, uh, they said that they would support us with their prayers, their presence in the Spirit, uh, their gifts, their service, and their witness. Uh, and then he promptly handed me a tithe check and said, I always tithe. And so they are watching today on Facebook. And uh, we just wanted to welcome you all. And I'm going to ask you guys, will you support them with your prayers uh, and uphold them in the faith? Maybe go visit them, but definitely just keep them in your prayers uh, and recognize them as members of this community. And if you will, say, we will. We will. Fantastic. Kenneth and Marianne, welcome to the fold. We are so glad that you are with us. Uh, we are excited about that, and we love you. So, yeah, this, that's good. With that, will you stand, grab the hand of the person next to you, and uh, if you can, make a chain throughout this place. If not, that's okay. Receive this blessing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved. You are completely forgiven and you're uniquely empowered. Now you're called to leave this place and go out into the world as God's faithful children. As you go, no doubt you'll make some mistakes because we always do. But I need you to know when you make those mistakes, there's nothing, nothing you can do that would make God love you any less. Because God's love for you is not rooted in your performance. It is rooted in His amazing grace. And by grace, He looks at you and says, Wow, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. Could you imagine what tomorrow would be like if you woke up and believed that? could be a brand new beginning. So I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you please take that good word and go from this place in peace until we meet again. Amen. Amen.